I'm Todd McKay. And I'm Jay Goldberg. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. And we've got a happy birthday. Senator Mike Duffy, 75 years young. And of course, that means it's time to leave the Senate, but he's not leaving empty-handed. No, the good senator, he's going to collect about $700,000 in pension payments from his uh, brief but colorful stay in the Red Chamber. So listen in for that. And in Waste Watch, remember when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he just had to have a seat on the UN Security Council. He had to have it. Well, we paid for his campaign to get that seat. He didn't get it, but we got the bill and we got more of those bills. I got bad news for you. They're going up, but uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll talk about that in Waste Watch. But first, we need to talk about what's going on in Ottawa. And I don't mean Ottawa is in the federal government. I mean, the city of Ottawa, it's handing over nearly $3 million to build not an orphanage, not a drop-in center, not a research facility. Ottawa City Council is spending about $3 million on a Porsche dealership. A Porsche dealership. You know those German sports cars? A Porsche dealership. Jay, I know that Ottawa already has a Porsche dealership. So this isn't even about giving them something they don't have. It just means if you want to buy a fancy new 911, you don't have to drive quite as far to pick it up. This is this is what's happening here. What's going on? Yeah, that's exactly right. Ottawa, they've already got a Porsche dealership, but uh, Mayor Jim Watson and City Council, they seem to think that Ottawa needs a second. Uh, And while Ottawa may need a second Porsche dealership in their minds, we don't think it should be coming at the taxpayers expense. But Ottawa City Council, they voted to support Jim Watson's motion to give $2.9 million in tax breaks for a new Porsche dealership. So Watson argued, he said this financing for a new Porsche dealership would be a, quote, very good deal for taxpayers, unquote. But of course, we know that Watson's dead wrong. There is no way in any circumstance that handing over money to open a Porsche dealership, taxpayer dollars, is a good idea. But the kicker here is that the Porsche dealership's new owners, they're claiming that at most they will create 20 new jobs. And what that means is that even if all 20 jobs are created, and of course there is no guarantee that all 20 are going to show up, Ottawa City Council is handing Porsche $145,000 for every job this new dealership will create in the city of Ottawa. You know, it's crazy when you break it down that way. $145,000 for each job created, maybe created, not for sure created, at best $145,000 per job. It's crazy to think of what kind of crazy things City Hall could do that would still be cheaper. Like the mayor could phone up a random, you know, sample of 20 people in Ottawa and say, guess what? You get a free Porsche. We're going to deliver today free Porsche for 20 random people in Ottawa. And the city would still save money. It's crazy. Okay. So at most 20 new jobs, how in the world is justifying, is Watson justifying this handout if the jobs don't make the cut? Well, I think the good mayor, he knows that uh, the $145,000 per job argument, he knows it's not a winner. So he's falling back on one of those arguments we hear all the time, especially from the federal government. 
And that is that this is, quote, an investment. So, of course, if it's an investment, it's a good thing. He's calling this new dealership an investment in a community that could really use some economic improvement. Now, his exact quote, Watson's exact quote is this, quote, this is an investment to act as a magnet to attract business to an economically challenged neighborhood, unquote. So apparently the mayor, he seems to think that the very best way to help struggling people in Vanier to help that neighborhood is to give it a new Porsche dealership. That's so crazy. Like, listen, I think it's legitimate to say that Vanier has some struggles. There's some, some things that could use some help there. Maybe fill in some potholes. That might, that might help. There's all kinds of things that Vanier needs. I think the last thing that Vanier needs is a luxury car dealership. But here's something that would actually make a difference. At the same time as Mayor Watson is giving Porsche three million bucks, He's also raising property taxes on everybody else in Ottawa by 3% this year. So here's an idea. Instead of taking more taxpayers' money away from taxpayers and giving it to Porsche, how about you just let taxpayers keep some of their own money? That benefits everybody, including the good folks in Vanier. Because here's the reality. All of us like Porsches. We like to imagine driving a Porsche. Very few of us get to actually do it. My Honda Accord doesn't quite measure up to a Porsche. But regardless of all of those uh, nice thoughts, I don't think a Porsche dealership is magically going to make the folks in Vanier uh, a lot better off. Yeah, Todd. I mean, as we already said, the city of Ottawa, they have a Porsche dealership. Uh, to be spending $3 million to get another one, it's just insane. But if those listeners out there, if uh, you're laughing and you're living somewhere else in Ontario, you're laughing at the chumps in Ottawa, uh, you, you might want to slow down for a minute because I'll tell you, I'm coming to you from Guelph and I'm not laughing. And the reason is that the government of Ontario is giving the city of Ottawa $751 million this year to help fund the city's budget. So that means whether you're living in Guelph, Ottawa, Kenora, Windsor, even Toronto, your money is helping to pay for this corporate welfare. This is, this is one of the dumbest corporate welfare stories I've ever heard. And we've heard a lot. We make fun of corporate welfare around here a lot, but 3 million bucks for not a first Porsche dealership, but a second Porsche dealership. Like if you, if you hadn't had the backup documents, I would have absolutely thought you were making this one up, Jay. But uh, if those of you out there, if you're listening and you think, you know what, I've got, I've got something I would like to say to the good mayor. I would like to drop him a note and just give him a few of my thoughts. Uh, we've got uh, Mayor Watson's email address in the show notes. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, give him a little feedback. Well, and listen, our, our fight against this Porsche dealership, it's not over. We've been filing a whole bunch of new freedom of information requests. So stay tuned on that front. Uh, we were glad to see that the vote was a lot closer at city council than was previously expected. Um, the other important thing is that this is a part of a pattern. This is part of a clear pattern where the city of Ottawa and city council have been giving now over $70 million to companies to open new locations. In this case, it was a Porsche. Uh, but in other cases, they've given money to help a Costco or a Walmart. Uh, and so while Vanier may need some improvement, we at the CTF don't think taxpayers should have to use their hard-earned dollars to pay businesses to open. 
yeah, it's weird to even have to say out loud that maybe uh, folks who sell $100,000 cars can maybe pay for their own dealership. Feels weird that we even have to say that out loud, but here we are. And thanks for staying on top of it, Jay. Thanks, Todd. It's time for Deep Dive. This is where we get, you know, below the surface. Actually talk about these issues with some depth. And our federal director, Franco Terzano, this week he threw a birthday party. You know, isn't that nice? We've all been missing birthday parties for a while there. But Franco, uh, he threw one for somebody who's near and dear to taxpayers, or at least uh, near and dear to our wallets. Franco, why don't you tell us uh, about your birthday bash? Oh, yeah, we had a good one. Yeah, we hosted a virtual party for Mike Duffy's 75th birthday. It's going to kick off his $47,000 per year senator pension party. Now, I think a good birthday for many Canadians, uh, yeah, definitely myself included, (laughs) might bring in a few hundred bucks, but not for Duffy. No, no, no. Because of that mandatory retirement age in the Senate of 75, his birthday this year is going to land him almost 4,000 bucks every single month for the rest of his life, thanks to that taxpayer-funded pension. (laughs) So we did the math, we run the numbers. And if he keeps collecting his pension until the age of 90, well, then he's going to have pocketed about 700 grand through his pension over those 15 years. $700,000. There you go. Uh, Listen, if any of you are kind of like Mike Duffy, that name is familiar. Yeah. He was that TV personality for a long time, got appointed to the Senate. And then things went right off the rails. Huge expense scandals rocked the Harper government at the end. And yet he gets to uh, ride off into the sunset with a great big pension from you folks. So, you know, happy birthday uh, taxpayers on this. But we need to remember that it could have been worse. It's frustrating, but it could have been worse. Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, we ran, we won a big victory a few years ago when it comes to these pensions. Franco, give us, give us the good news. What's the good news here? <laughs> yeah, I guess like so many things in government, they, the good news for taxpayers is that, yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. And it definitely could have been worse when it comes to the senator pension, right? It was absolutely crazy. These members of parliament and the senators were making off like bandits when it comes to their old platinum-plated pensions that they were receiving. You know, back in the day, (laughs) these taxpayers were contributing approximately $17 for every $1 contributed by an MP or senator towards their own pension. Let me just say that one more time. (laughs) For every dollar that they would put in, us poor taxpayer saps over here would have to put in 17 bucks. So that was that was bad news bears for taxpayers. And, and like you mentioned, Todd, I mean, we have had progress. We have got a huge win. And since 2016, these contributions, it's been generally shifting towards a ratio of $1.60 in taxpayer contributions for every $1 put in by a member of parliament or senator. So definitely saw a win there. Now, Duffy is kind of in the middle because he was appointed to the Senate in 2009, right? So assuming he collects the pension to 90 years old, well, then taxpayers will have contributed at least $5 for every $1 that he put into his own pension. Man, all of this is crazy, hey? 
Can you imagine if when you put money in your RRSP, somebody else put 17 bucks in there for every dollar you put in? Even a buck 60. That's a pretty smoking deal. But uh, Duffy's making away with about five bucks per. Definitely could have been a lot worse and it's on the on the right trajectory, but there's still a lot more work to do. Most of us, whatever's in our pension is what we put in there. Uh, we've got to take a little bit of money off our paychecks, drop it into our uh, into our savings accounts and keep an eye on it. Make sure those investments are going in the right direction. A much fairer model uh, for our politicians would be something more like that. You know, they put some money in our RSP. Maybe the government tops it up a bit and, you know, matches it dollar to dollar, not a dollar 60 or five dollars or 17 dollars to one. Maybe matches it. That would still be hugely generous but it would reduce liabilities for taxpayers out here in saskatchewan this is this is a phrase you hear all the time right saskatchewan's leading the way we're at the cutting edge of innovation we fixed this back in the late 70s when the provincial government started moving its employees to a more rrsp style pension and back in the day old ralph klein well, he got in a pretty heated argument about this stuff with a young fella, might recognize the name, Jason Kenny. Back when Kenny was working for the Taxpayers Federation, he and King Ralph, they threw down. They had a heated argument in front of the media about reforming MLA pensions. Ralph was pretty heated at the moment, but he saw the light eventually and they fixed it. MLAs in Alberta, they get a little bit of a, uh, an extra retirement payment, but there's no big, crazy, last forever defined benefit pension plan. Old Ralph, uh, he got rid of that. Hey, and, and Todd, man, let's be honest here, right? We're talking about pensions, but we need to realize something. And that's these senators and members of parliament, they're already extremely, I'll have to say it again, extremely well paid. Right. So if you add up all the money that Duffy received just in his salary while he was in the Senate, then you assume he gets that pension to age 90. Well, he will have pocketed about two million smackers from taxpayers. <laughs> Let's remember here, these politicians, it's not like they're going broke on their salary. The base salary for a senator is about one hundred sixty thousand bucks and they can get thousands of dollars more for other roles and duties that they do. And here's another one that just boils my blood. You know, all senators and all members of parliament have pocketed not one, but two pay raises during COVID-19. Now, these pay raises for senators and members of parliament, they, have, they range between $6,900 and nearly $14,000. And they've been pocketing these pay raises during COVID-19, during the pandemic, you know, while millions of Canadians have been struggling through this downturn, while so many have taken pay cuts, have lost their jobs, or, or who may be looking at their small business, uh, which is hanging on by a thread right now. Listen, it's been a huge letdown to see our politicians uh, taking you know, multiple pay raises. They're doing fine. Nobody has to worry that our elected officials are having trouble putting groceries in the fridge. And they've done the right thing before. Uh, you remember when there's a big recession, 2008, 2009, the government froze salaries. Because everybody else was hurting, they, they want to lead by example and, and kind of share the pain a little bit. Shouldn't be rocket science for politicians to do that now. Now, we have seen a few politicians across the country uh, take pay cuts, but we really haven't seen it as much as we should be seeing it. And we did see quick leadership in other places, New Zealand, for example. 
uh, our Commonwealth cousins in New Zealand, uh, they took uh, big pay cuts right away. A New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, she cut her salary by 20%. The salary for her cabinet cut 20%. Salary for senior bureaucrats cut 20%. Now, I'm sure all of those people were doing fine, but they were willing to make a sacrifice to uh, hang in there with folks who are having a tough time. Somehow, the folks in uh, the House of Commons here in Canada, they just can't seem to wrap their, uh, wrap their heads about around that. Yeah, that's such an important point, isn't it? Like we've seen, as you mentioned, in New Zealand, you had the politicians um, almost immediately, it seemed like, willing to step up to the plate, willing to show solidarity with the struggling taxpayers who are the ones who are really footing the bills, right? It's the taxpayers who are paying for the politician's salary. And that's why it was so important to see that type of leadership. As you mentioned, it, it's been happening in some places across Canada. Um, you talk about the fact that there's already precedence here, right? In response to the 0809 recession, the Harper Gruff government ended up freezing salaries. So there's no reason it can't be done uh, right now. And, you know, let's shift gears just a little bit here, though. We've talked about the big MP and Senator salaries. We've talked about the big Senator pensions and, and some of the reforms, but we also have to talk about just the overall cost of keeping the Senate afloat every single year. So this year, we're paying about $115 million for our unelected and unaccountable Senate. <laughs> you know, that's that represents about 11% increase to the Senate's budget over the last five years. And that's on top of budgets that has been growing for a while. You know, the Senate's budget was about $85 million in 2014. It was too, it was too much then, and it's certainly too big now. And, you know, if the Senate took a haircut, I really don't think there'd be too many Canadians losing sleep over it. Yeah, that's something I never hear somebody uh, worrying about. Like, oh, man, what if the Senate can't make it? What, what are they going to do? I've never heard that. In fact, does anybody think, oh, man, I've gotten $20 million more value out of the Senate lately? Boy, they've really, they've really picked it up. Those senators are really giving her. Never hear that. I think we could dial those expenses way back. Senators are unelected and unaccountable. When Mike Duffy was going through that huge scandal, and billing taxpayers for all kinds of money, nothing could be done about it. Now, to be fair to him, he was acquitted uh, by the courts. So it wasn't illegal what he was doing. But you and I as taxpayers, we got no say in it. We didn't get to uh, you know, go to the ballot box and register our discontent with what Senator Duffy was doing. He got to just you know keep wandering into the... Uh, into the old Senate chambers there, collect some dust, collect some paychecks, pile up his pension. No accountability at all. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why in 2013, we, we launched that cross-country campaign, right, to push for a referendum on the future of the Senate. We had that big old balloon of a senator with a briefcase full of cash, and we brought that balloon across the country. And, and, and these senators are completely, completely unaccountable to taxpayers. They are, they are appointed, essentially, by the prime minister. So at the very least, we said, hey, well, should Canadians have a say on whether we even need a Senate in the first place? All right, well, there it is. Notwithstanding all of the expenses, happy birthday to Mike Duffy. You know, uh, I won't say we're sorry to see you go. Would have been nice to see you leave with a little bit less of our money. But Franco is really kind of you to throw the uh, the old senator a, uh, a birthday party. Hopefully uh, you didn't eat all the cake all by yourself. 
It's time for Waste Watch, the part of the show where we highlight the politicians and bureaucrats who waste our money in oh-so-spectacular ways. And this week, we got our investigative journalist, James Wood, or commonly known as Jimbo, back on the podcast. And he's got some new info on just how high the bill has gone for Justin Trudeau's failed bid for a seat on the United Nations Security Council. So Jimbo, why don't you take it away? Yeah, uh, this is the bill that just just keeps on growing and growing and growing. Uh, last week, I received a package from Global Affairs Canada. That's Canada's foreign service. I had asked them uh, last year for the total amount of salary paid to workers on the failed Security Council seat campaign. After waiting close to a year, they finally told me the number. Uh, just a one-page summary. It rang in at just over $6.2 million. Yeah, okay. So I think I got the broad strokes here. Yeah, it's a complete and utter waste of all of our tax dollars. But let's dig a little deeper for our listeners. Yeah, okay, sure thing. Back in 2016, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau decided the world needed some more Canada, and he set off on a very expensive quest for a temporary seat on the United Nations Security Council. Now, there are plenty of arguments for and against the importance of sitting on that council, but a common view of Trudeau's motivation was that he wanted to succeed where former Prime Minister Stephen Harper had failed in 2010 when Canada lost our seat bid to Portugal. This time, we are up against uh, Norway and Ireland who had both announced they were running for the seat years before we got in the game. So, basically, we were starting an expensive vanity project that was doomed to fail from the start. Do I get that right? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty realistic way of looking at it. Like, it basically, it's, it's a bit of a total vanity project, and it entailed a lot of expensive hobnobbing and quote-unquote diplomatic efforts across the world. Fast forward to June last year, when things finally came down to a vote. We had been spending money left, right, and center trying to get countries to support our bid. We had spent money on fancy treats, Celine Dion concerts, greeting cards, chocolate, Canada-branded face masks, you name it. We even had a story last year about the gift shops worth of goodies. We had outfitted the UN mission in New York with to hand out to visiting diplomats. The feds made one last big push in June to uh, try and get more votes, and then we came in dead last. Dead last, behind Norway, behind Ireland. Yep, precisely. On June 17th, 2020, it was it's brutal. We got 108 votes, way behind first place Norway at 130 votes, and second place Ireland at 128. All right, let's do the math real quick here. So we come in last. Awesome, great. And we're left with nothing. So we spent millions of dollars to come in dead last. Fantastic. Love the math on that one. Sounds like a fantastic use of taxpayers' money. Yeah, like it gets worse too because global affairs, so they, like I said, they gave me the salaries for everyone who worked on this failed bid, worked out over 6.2 million. But earlier this year, the feds also disclosed over $2.4 million that was spent on operational expenses tied to the campaign, which is a fun umbrella term for what will likely turn out to be extremely goofy spending. Some quick examples, we had spent uh, $24,000 for those Canada-themed treats I mentioned earlier, and close to $140,000 for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau not to go to Barbados during his seat campaigning. Other costs included $31,000 to fly diplomats to UN headquarters in New York, and $20,000 for consultants and contractors for various things linked to the campaign. Now, the list goes on and on and on, and the bills will only climb higher as the feds release more information. 
Yeah. So I guess you're saying that we might even be finding out even more details on all the silly ways that these bureaucrats have spent our money. Is that right? Uh, guarantee. Like, hopefully it doesn't go up by millions, millions more. If it does, though, I wouldn't be surprised because that's just the way these things go. So, yeah. Oh, man. You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing the bills, you know, the crazy, the crazy ways that they're spending our money. But on the other hand, I'm really, really really not looking forward to seeing those bills. So earlier you mentioned the $6.2 million. On top of that, you also talked about an extra $2.4 million that was spent on operational expenses, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So let's do the math one last time. If we combine those costs that we have so far that we know about, how much money did the Fed spend for every vote? Uh, we spent oh just over 80 grand per vote which is just a bargain, right? You, you spend all that money and you get nothing. That's oh, friggin' brutal. It's what it is. Friggin' brutal. <laughs> I mean, look, more than 80 grand, that is a good salary for many Canadians, right? Okay. Now, if you want to see the full details on everything that we've been talking about during this show, please check out our website. We, we do have the exclusive Canadian Taxpayers Federation story that James dug up so well and we're also going to include a link in the show notes so be able to find that pretty easy all right everyone that's the show thanks for listening normally this is the spot where folks give a shout out to me but i'm the one talking so that wouldn't make much sense regardless thanks again for spending some time with us if you know someone who's interested in smaller more accountable government lower taxes and less waste i guarantee they'll want to hear what we have to say please feel free to send them a link Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.